0: Hello and welcome to our latest edition of the GRC and Cybersecurity Podcast. In today's episode of Leaders and Risk and Security Series, we have a very special guest, Michelle Garcia, the Director of IT, Compliance and Security at Carnival Cruise Lines. We talk about the challenges of IT compliance, unified frameworks, and talk about how you can embed and look at things like CCM and other technologies to support this. Hi Michelle, can you introduce yourself and tell the listeners a little bit about the company that you work for?
1: Sure. I'm Michelle Garcia. I'm the Director of IT Security and Compliance for Carnival Cruise Line. We are the largest cruise line currently operating with ships that are global. We have an incredible team of individuals that have a core responsibility of giving people memorable vacations and delivering memories that last a lifetime.
0: Fantastic. So before we go any further, one of the things we always like to ask is just tell us a little bit about yourself, what you get up to outside of work, any hobbies, any animals you've got.
1: I love talking about my animals. I actually have the most amazing Siberian husky who has taken my entire life and made it so much fun. I'm a scuba diver and I'm also a golfer, but don't ask me my handicap because it's like minus 20 squared.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Purely
1: play for fun.
0: (laughs) Hey, we've all got hobbies that there's plenty of things that I like, I'm not great at. So don't don't worry about it. So, can you tell listeners about your role? Uh, And then also, how did you get into security? What was your pathway?
1: So, I actually have a great role where I am in charge of IT security and compliance, specific for the Carnival Cruise Line brand. We're a global corporation with nine brands, and my purview is. strictly Carnival Cruise Line. My path to security was actually indirectly direct. I've been doing security roles and responsibilities without having the actual title for more than 15 of my 20 plus plus year technology career. I was drafted into cybersecurity because I had a skill which was very unique, meaning I knew how ships operated, I knew how ships run but I don't know how to steer a ship. So I'm not a captain. I will never be a captain. I don't seek to be a captain, but I knew how the technology worked behind it. And I also have a very strong understanding of all the various regulatory bodies that influence certifications of ships being able to operate. My specific first role, I was drafted in a hallway.
0: So did you always work in security, so?
1: No. I started off my early career in technology. I oversaw B2B and B2C websites, and then I grew into overseeing systems that focused on operating the ship, their navigation systems, how those systems operate and interact. And then, because I had that knowledge, I was asked to join a cybersecurity team that was focused on shipboard operations.
0: Fantastic. So you kind of went through going into IT roles, evolving through, moving into an IT and security role, and then obviously now it's IT compliance.
1: Yes, a director level at Carnival Cruise Line. And like I said, I love this company. This company is just, it's a great place to work. I love it. Great culture, great people. What named one of the best places to work for women I can't say and, and actually name one of Forbes best employers, 2021 and 2022. They've also named it one of the top female friendly companies and also named America's best large employers. Fantastic.
0: So I know you've mentioned the company, but can you talk about, I mean, because I, I guess Carnival Group is huge, but can you talk about the size and stage of the information security program so they can get a bit more of a kind of understanding?
1: Yeah, I have to keep it general. We don't want to say anything that could get used inappropriately. I, I mean, I can say, so Like, here's what I can say. I can say that Carnival Cruise Line has a robust cybersecurity operation tasked with ensuring that our people, processes, and technology ensure that our guest information is safe and secure and our vessels are operating safely and securely. I can say like that.
0: Let's move on to then who do you report to? What does the team structure look like?
1: So I report to a, the vice president of infrastructure who reports to the Carnival Cruise Line CIO, who then reports to the Carnival Cruise Line CFO, who then reports to reports the brand president and our brand president then reports up into our corporate structure.
0: Okay. And then do you have any direct reports? What does, what does your team look like?
1: I have two direct reports. I have a manager of security and a manager of compliance. And then I also have a team of security and compliance analysts who all have a similar goal to mine ensuring that our vessel and our guest information is safe.
0: How do you spend your time currently? Like what are the key priorities that you're focused on right at the moment?
1: One of my keys is resource development. Um, There's a great responsibility that every security leader has which is protecting our field and Not only do I have direct reports who I focus on growing their talent, their skills and abilities, I'm making sure that they're recognized for those talents, skills, and abilities. I also do a lot of work with helping others outside of my organization. I have several mentees I work with simply because I want to make sure that we have cybersecurity practitioners because our field is constantly growing and knowledge is power. And I share what I know so that I grow interest in working with cybersecurity.
0: And is is there any... Particular like compliance regimes that like really kind of pressing at the moment.
1: PCI is always pressing for everyone. Um, It's never going to go away, and it shouldn't go away because PCI has got a very strong focus in protecting financial information. That's one which is huge. Also, data privacy is a significant concern for everyone. That one is also never going to leave us. And then of course PII and then HIPAA. Uh, GDPR is an is a concern for everyone. So. Anything compliance related is always going to be something that is going to be top of mind for any security and compliance professional.
0: Well, it's it's ever changing, isn't it? But it's, it's a moving thing. But I mean, the reality is, it's just getting more and more complicated. I think I've spoke about this so many times, but like you're never like taking away compliance requirements. You're just adding more and more and more, and they just get more overlapping requirements, more complicated, and then you end up with security teams who spend their entire lives just trying to make sure you're compliant, but. They're adding value in being compliant, but not, I guess, using their skills to advance where you're going.
1: And there's arguments on both sides. Some people will say if you're compliant, you're 100% secure. Then some will say if you're secure, you're 100% compliant. You will never be 100% compliant or secure. The human factor never goes away. And an organization can do everything possible to make sure that they're following the letter of the law. And then someone will accidentally do something and not realize that they made a change that makes you not compliant. And that change is actually a change to make you more secure. The handshakes live 24 seven. So you have to make sure the teams live together, work together, understand each other, share information. Um, The other thing I'm also big on is I don't believe that security should be used as a premise to make your brand better. We should all share. If I know something that a bad guy is doing, I'm going to share that knowledge because our industry is dynamic. We all have a vested goal of keeping our ship safe, our data safe, our guests safe, our information safe. So the organization that says, oh, I'm more secure, so I'm better than you, that's the wrong way to think.
0: Yeah, couldn't agree more. Like, If you're not helping others with this like, and you know something everyone else doesn't, I mean, it doesn't feel partic- particularly right and not definitely not that ethical.
1: Definitely. I agree with that statement. It's definitely not ethical because trade secrets are one thing, but security secrets aren't. shouldn't be secret.
0: Yeah, exactly. If there's a simple and easy thing that can remediate a lot of issues and you know about it, it feels like something you should be telling others about. So one of the other things that we've spoke about a lot is automation and compliance. And you were saying that, and, and it kind of leads on from the conversation we're just having then of there's more and more and more security compliance requirements. Can you tell? listeners what you mean why this is so important to compliance this automation element
1: absolutely it's funny it's like automation is important but then i'm also concerned about chat gpt which is automation so i'm a fan and i'm a fan of it and i'm also nervous at the same time so the big thing about automation is speed of information so I'm going to just make up Vulnerability X and just say Vulnerability X is a problem, it exists, and we have to figure out a way to get the notice out quicker about Vulnerability X so it gets remediated faster. Using the tools available to scan your environment and using those same tools to create tickets that notify the impacted teams of Vulnerability X reduces the communication time from minutes or hours to seconds because use plugins to tools from your vulnerability scanner to your ticket management system and get the notice out there quicker. That will absolutely save time for your organization so that they can start solving the problem.
0: Yeah. I think things like, I mean, we hear more and more of a continuous control monitoring and continuous compliance automation, whatever whatever you want to call this, but, but this tool set I think is becoming especially to larger organizations, but even smaller is going to be absolutely yeah. pivotal because Look, you can't add an extra person or two people for every compliance regime that comes in because you'll end up with a colossal security team, right? So I think I think it's about taking those processes that are able to be automated and then saying, Okay, well, for like you said, patch management, we've got a policy which says X, Well, okay, can we check that patches are deployed within X number of days? Fine. And you're you're asking a person to do that, right? You can easily say, actually, well, we can go to the source technology and we can automate that directly.
1: Right. And that makes a lot more sense because if there's a process you have that's repeatable, it can be automated. So if you know that your leadership wants to see that you are patching every seven days and they want to report on this, even that report can be automated as long as you configure your system correctly. The amount of time that your person is spending making that report is time they could be spent actually solving a problem. It's time they could be spent discovering something new, or more importantly, it's time they could be spent on professional development because we also need to do better at making sure that our resources have time to develop themselves. If automation can take away something that they do repeatedly, that's stopping them from developing, we're not helping our team. And that's, as a leader, responsibility number one is your resources. So...
0: How do you feel about like we could best apply automation? So obviously we said like it's really important, but like how do you feel organizations should be taking approach to this? So is there easy places to start? Because obviously you can't automate everything, but like where's an easy place to start for an
1: organization? Well, talk to your team, ask them something they do every day. If you can map out a process, test that process on paper. If it's a process that after three or four days of following that process on paper, it hasn't deviated, that's where you start. There's no cookie cutter. Automation is not a sprint. It's not a marathon ran at a sprint space. It is something that needs to be done thoughtfully because you don't want to create ticket fatigue. You don't want to lose visibility to what's important. And you want to make sure that the value, the automation that you do provides value. If you're creating ticket fatigue or you're losing visibility, then you're not creating value.
0: Yeah, and, and I guess that comes down to you prioritizing the highest value items, right? So you take what's easy to do and then what's highest value. So if it's PCI, if it's ISO 27001, if it's SOC 2, whatever's the, the main driver, you say, what are the things we can automate? And then slowly just build out that suite of automation. Is that the kind of thing? Yes.
1: There's, I mean, a, the buzzword two or three years ago in security was SOAR. Security orchestration Automated response. And for a little while, it seemed like every single provider was, I have a sore, I have a sore, I have a sore, which is great. But it's how you use it that is really where the value is. So those who sell sore products need to make sure that they are invested in it. And something I always ask a company who has a sore do they use it themselves?
0: Are you customer number one, right? Like, are you? Are yeah. You...
1: Who's your number <laughs> yeah. one? If they're not using their own product, don't talk to me. <laughs> and it's like, what? I, it's like I turn. It's like, tell me how you use your own product. That's a typical. That's a typical way I end. I ask most salespeople, tell me how you use your own product. And if they can, if the salesperson can't speak to how they use their own product, don't talk to me. <laughs> it's like, come back when you can answer that. And I do that with not only sore pro- I do that with every product. I want to know how you use it because you, you know. And they look at me and they're like, huh? I'm like, I want to know how you use it. <laughs> Why? Because if you're not if you're not using what you're selling, then I'm not buying what you're selling.
0: I mean, even I was doing, we were buying some product management software recently. And the first thing I'm asking is like, okay, so can you show me how you use it? And the other one was like, can you give me a case study? So you always want practical example of people that you can say, okay, I can see the value. Don't just give me these 10 numbers that you think are brilliant. And you're like, okay, great but let, let's see what people are saying about it, Cause I think that adds a lot more weight. Yes. So one of the other things I know we've spoken about, and again, in the prep call, you mentioned too much automation. So can you explain to listeners a little bit what you mean by this?
1: Yes. So that touches back on the ticket fatigue. If you have so much automation that your support teams are getting flooded with tickets, then you're defeating the purpose of having automation because it's, you know, the boy who called wolf scenario, everything is not important. Everything is not an emergency, but if you have everything being, if you have a ticket being created for everything, then all of a sudden everything did become an emergency. Everything is important. You've destroyed your ability to manage your own internal SLAs because you've got so many tickets being thrown out there. That is a, big problem that can develop if you don't apply automation in a way that's smart. The other thing is that don't lose sight of your stakeholders when you are develop, developing automation. It's not only security who's a stakeholder, it's the team who is creating, the who's solving the tickets. They're a stakeholder. If it's the owners of the tools that could be supported by a different area, they're also a stakeholder. You can't lose sight of them in your whole journey. So, automation is automation is truly when it's it takes a village and some say oh it's a security product so i'm automating it's like no it's not only about you there's a big we component so don't lose sight of
0: the we and i guess that comes down to building tolerance and stuff into these tools isn't it? it's not there always oh, just the binary yes no compliant or yes no we're happy with it it's like let's have acceptable tolerances and when something's actually bad <laughs> tell me because i'll
1: I had one demo of an automation tool and they're like, oh, we can automate this, automate this. I was like, did you factor in likelihood of exploitability? And they're like, no, I'm like, then it's not helping me because if I, if it can't be, if the vulnerability that you're being found has a low likelihood of exploit, you're saying you're going to generate tickets for everything. If it's a very low likelihood, do I need to generate a ticket for it? And does your tool have the ability to control the high, medium, low in the ticketing system? And they're like, it's an enhancement that's coming. I'm like, coming when? <laughs> it's not coming tomorrow. It's not helping me. So no, thank you. I'll move on. So, um,
0: No, no, no. I, I couldn't agree more. It's one of the things that I've seen a lot of recently is like, you have a thousand vulnerabilities, right? Let well, It would be nice if you had a thousand. You've got 20,000, right? <laughs> Let's say. Um, you've got 20,000. And we all know CVSS score is not a great way because it's like the likelihood of how we can exploit it. How important is this asset? Because... Ultimately, it could be on a dev box with no customer data on, and I don't really care. And this is the problem. They don't understand the context, right? And I think people get very honed in on, well, this is a high vulnerability. And it's like, yeah, but it's behind seven layers of our <laughs> environment. It's got no client data on it. So I'm accepting that's okay right now. It's not a priority. And I think mm-hmm. tools get lost in that. I mean, being a tool provider, but I do know this, like it's quite regular. You get lost there. actually...
1: Mm-hmm. You've actually touched on what I refer to as a CVS in the wild. Oh, and, and I'm wearing an animal print shirt What a great, what a great analogy. <laughs> so I don't care about the CVS score in the wild. I care about what that vulnerability means to me and my environment. If it's, if it's a wild out there and it's low to me, it's a low for me. Do I need to worry about it? Eventually, yes. But I'm going to worry about the CVS score, which is low, which has a high rate of exploit in my environment. Those are what I care about.
0: Exactly. So let, let's go back into a bit more about your role and talk about like what you're doing at the moment that you think is really working and then also what's not working, what's difficult.
1: So something that's really working is building strategic partnerships, both inside and outside of my organization, because security and compliance, it's a team sport. That's really working because we've got a, great team that supports our needs for sourcing, that pay attention to what we say we need, and they're not focused on only cheapest. They're focused on best. That's really working. What's not working is getting buried with every single salesperson trying to sell me stuff that I don't need. That's not working. I'm spending too much time hitting delete in my inbox. It happens. What is also not working is competing priorities because everything is important to everybody if it's their number 1 and working through trying to make the understanding of why security is important to everyone important to everyone that is something that's never going to go away i won't say it's a, wait so i won't say it's not working It's always an opportunity for improvement because security for the longest time had this horrible perception of we were the police. I've never been, I'm the police. I will never be, I'm the police. I will always be, I am your partner in ensuring safe operations. I'm your partner in deploying your product safely. I'm your partner in making sure that my business is successful, safely, and securely. I'm your partner, so... That's probably one of my favorite conversations where I get to show how I can help.
0: And one of the things you mentioned last time was one of your pet peeves was kind of unified compliance. Talk talk to me why you think that.
1: It's a pet peeve because it doesn't exist. (laughs) I wish it did, but it doesn't. It would be nice if it did, but it doesn't. So there's GDPR, which is number one for here. And there's HIPAA, which is number one for here. And then in my case, I have to follow IMO and SOLUS and class regulations and regulations based on where the ship is and where it's sailing. And so I just have to always shoot for highest and best, and then everything else will fall in line underneath it. So it would be great if there could be unified compliance, but that would mean everyone would have to agree. And that's impossible because no one will ever always agree. The only thing that we all agree on is that, oh, we all agree. We all need compliance. Well, can you all get together and- and it'll never happen. It's it's, it's a peeve because just the highest in, I just go highest and best.
0: I think that's what a lot of people end up doing. And, and I mean, look, there are there are sources out there, aren't there? I mean, there's things like the UCF, Unified Compliance Framework, where you can buy. There's the SCF. And, and I, I think as long as you know going into it that actually they're a good starting place, but you're going to have to adapt it for your organization because I, I don't think there is any silver bullet that's going to go, oh, I'm just going to take everything and make the... Here you go. Here's the best compliance requirement for all of your governance and password controls across the organization.
1: And moving target, always, always changing. Because what you, because what's highest and best today is going to be different tomorrow. And then there's some compliance frameworks which have ambiguous language.
0: Yeah, re- requirements versus controls, right? And then some of them talk about like the essence of what they want you to do, and then like take PCI or some of the NIST ones where they, they're very prescriptive. And sometimes they're they're even contradictory in what they say. So you're like, oh, PCI. it's not as bad, but the old version of PCI used to have some contradictory things that that you'd be doing because it was six or seven years old. Right. And, And this is a problem, isn't it?
1: Yes. And then there's specific to PCI. There's like one specific control that depending on how you classify your systems, if you classify your systems as a safety system, the control applies. I'm sorry, the control does not apply. But if you don't classify this as a safety system, it does comply. So it's like, okay, so I can work with the ambiguity of that one. And then it's, well, the spirit of the control is this, but the spirit doesn't say what the control actually means. So how do you know that's the spirit? And then there's the QSA's interpretation of the spirit of the control, which is also completely different. So it's, but don't get me wrong. I agree with the need for PCI. So I will never say we don't need it. I agree with the need for HIPAA. I'll never say we don't need it but we need to get past a spirit of versus actual so that it is easier to ensure that we are compliant.
0: Yeah, I agree. What, what are the biggest challenges you think the industry are facing at the moment in terms of cybersecurity?
1: Skill gaps. So someone hears cybersecurity and they think a cybersecurity professional is just some person sitting in the shadows. They're focused on like hacking or being an ethical hacker. The field is so diverse that a lot of people don't even understand what cybersecurity is leading to a skill gap. If someone is a teacher, they can work in cybersecurity. They can do training and awareness. If someone is a marketing professional, they can work in cybersecurity. They can also do training and awareness. If someone has spent their entire life developing websites, they can work in cybersecurity and they can support forensics or restoration. It's a huge diverse field. And because there's a lack of understanding of everything we do, there's a absolute skill gap. And cybersecurity, is, it's, it's fun and it's fascinating. When you think that there's a line of code that can stop a war, which did actually happen, fascinating. When you think that you can sit in front of a line of code and reverse engineer what a hacker did to break into a system, fascinating. The opportunity to share knowledge is fun. So all of those personality types can lead to a great cybersecurity professional. We just need to do better as cybersecurity professionals and promote everything that's available within our field so we can attract more talent. Because, I mean, my first degree is in English literature. My second degree is in marketing. My third degree is in cybersecurity. It took me a little while to get here officially. I don't want people to take as long as I did to get here because this is some really cool stuff. And I, like, I wake up every day and I'm doing this for... I've been in technology for decades. I've been doing security for almost a decade, officially. I love this stuff. I want more people like me in our field who wake up and go, this is really cool, because it is. Yeah, and
0: I and, and think we've been our own, you can see your own worst enemy. You've seen less of it now, but a few years ago, it's like everything said like five plus years experience. There's no entry-level jobs. I think you, you are seeing more of that. And I, everyone's heard me talk about there are organizations like Caps Lock, if you're not aware of the UK-based one, but it's retraining where you can take on and you do a boot camp. But you do have to have money. The other thing is like, there's a cost involved. And even that is difficult. And I think I saw you posting about free certifications the other day.
1: I will post every single time I see something free, even if it's something on someone else's post, I'm resharing it because there, there's tons out there, but they're hard to find. So um go into almost every single large... Tech companies' website, they almost always offer some level of free training on their own tools as a baseline. Um, I have m- my mentees always ask me, like, where to find free help um, or where to find free stuff or even lower cost things. So, like, I have a PMP certification. I didn't go to one of those big PMP organizations to get my PMP. I took my boot camp at a community college. Getting my PMP, I actually did it for under $1,000. Whereas there are some organizations that will charge you like five grand for a PMP. Mind you, it's one of the most valuable ones out there, but be creative and look around, Um, use your public or use your public education systems as your first place to go, not your last place to go. Because usually who teaches it is someone who walked the same path you did. They wanted to find it like inexpensive or even free. So I will always say that because it doesn't have to be expensive to learn. And then- there's like there's meetup groups. This one fascinated me when I discovered them. There's meetup groups for professionals who want to grow. So um, look at those as well, because you'll never know. I I took public speaking courses through a meetup group. I didn't go to some big fancy institution and I think I do okay. And I didn't pay thousands of dollars to learn how to speak in public. It's also one
0: of those things like, like ask people like, do you know, Jin? I always think if people reach out to you and ask honest questions and like, could, could you help me with this? I think a lot of people will help you. And LinkedIn LinkedIn's a really good place to connect to people, ask people questions. And I think there are a lot of people out there who will help.
1: Yes, absolutely. I, get, I accept the majority of the friend requests I get through LinkedIn. Um, it's usually helpful if the friend request includes a message like why they're reaching out to me um, because I want to help. I will help anyone. Random person, I don't have to meet you in person, but if you reach out, help me can you guide me here can you show me this absolutely because somebody had to help me and that's how i got here
0: so in 2023 what is your biggest area of concern at the moment
1: ransomware is never gonna go away just never go away and we we, we touched about how like compliance requirements and contra- compliance controls are getting more complex i remember reading something a few years ago about like the history of ransomware it's people don't realize how long ransomware has actually been a thing ransomware actually got pervasive because of crypto so technology made something that's existed for decades a bigger problem because ease of payment suddenly came up so that's another reason why controls have to keep getting as we advance technology hackers get more creative and then something that's existed forever has become a problem And mind you, the very first attack that's known of ransomware was at, I think it was the World AIDS Conference, and someone gave out USB drives or floppy disks. not sure which technology it was. Very first type of ransomware. I'm like, really? And I I happen to hate USB drives, by the way. I think they're like crazy, significant, huge attack vector. And what was the very first ransomware? On a portable memory. So if the world could be USB-free, we'd be a better place. But we all know that the malicious actors of the world will just find something else.
0: Exactly. Um I mean, the the other one that you mentioned was um, ChatGPT earlier. So why do you think this is such a big concern?
1: Because it has, when you can talk to a bot and ask a bot how to do something, the bot is inevitably going to tell you something good or something bad. So malicious actors can use a bot to ask a question about how to do something bad because it has aggregated all kinds of information because it's been sitting here listening behind the scenes it's also another attack vector because there's actual instances of malicious actors putting apps out there attached to chat gpt that are act which are actually full of malware so because it's the new cool thing what happens with the new cool thing it's going to get exploited by a bad guy
0: i saw one of them i think it was somebody tricked it into asking a question about making something that you shouldn't know how to make maybe napalm or something like that where basically it said it wanted a story for its grandma about it. And it took it as an honest question and then answered it. It said no when you asked it straight, but you know when you manipulate the way you ask the questions, people have obviously not thought about all of the different ways that it could be used. And, and look, we're going to learn a lot, but I think the other thing is I'm not sure everyone knows where the data is going, how it's being reused and you're entirely, yeah. And I think people just need to probably be a bit aware. It's like, look, it's something you're happy to be in the public domain fine something you're not happy in the public domain it probably shouldn't go in there
1: yes but it could already be there anyway because it's a giant data aggregator it'll find it someplace else so let's hope nothing too significant is there but we we know it probably is so
0: can you talk me through what you think like if you're hiring someone what are the key skills you look for an information security professional
1: So number one skill is enthusiasm about the job and enthusiasm to learn. That's always primary. I'm not hiring a resume. I'm hiring a person. And I look at the soft skills of the person first. I look at how I think they will mesh with the current team I have. Um, I'm very lucky at having a skill to uh, building high performance teams, I will be honest, I don't know how I developed that skill, but I'm lucky I have it. And I want to make sure that I never lose team chemistry by bringing in the wrong person. So I use my team as part of the interview process to make sure that they believe that person will be a good fit. Working for Carnival, the other benefit I have is I don't care about your zip code. I care about your skills, talents, abilities, motivation to learn. If I'm hiring a leader, I need I want to see leadership skills. I want to know who that person has developed. So I always ask a question to anyone I'm interviewing for a leadership role. And I encourage those listening to me to ask the same question. Ask them about specifics of two people they've mentored or two people they've developed. If they can't reference two people like this, then that's a gap they have. Because if you bring them onto your team, then those reporting to them won't get the leadership skills and development they need for them to grow. Because we have to grow everybody.
0: Um, So if you could have one wish, and this is one of the hardest questions. A lot of people always struggle this, but if you've got one wish in security to fix, what would it be?
1: Oh, my God. Passwords. (laughs) Passwords are a pet peeve. How can we put a man on the moon? But the most complex thing we can do to, to secure an environment is like a sequence of letters and numbers on it. Passwords. And passwords have actually even gotten weaker over time because password bots have are able to crack anything. If you have like a seven character password, it's going to get cracked in seconds thanks to bots. That's my, oh, uh, total peeve. That's it, passwords.
0: Okay, so um, one of the things we are would... like.
1: No, I don't have a solution. I wish I did.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Passwords, oh my God.
0: So um, one of the things we'd like to ask is, is there another security leader you think we should have on this podcast and where you think that we should be trying to get on?
1: Thomas Maldonado, he's the Chief Information Security Officer for the National Football League. I follow him on LinkedIn. He posts every single day a type tip of the day. I sometimes share his, actually almost always share his content also because great thought, and I just admire how he grew in his career too. And he gets to do, he gets to work for like a really fun organization and, you know, diehard Bills fan, go, you know, go Bills. So he's protecting my, he's also protecting my favorite team. So hopefully he hears this and you're able to get him on because I will definitely listen to that one also.
0: Fantastic. Thanks for your time. Um, If our listeners want to reach out to you in any way, what's the best place to contact you?
1: LinkedIn. My profile is pretty public. Sadly, I do have a common name, Michelle Garcia, but that's, you know, I'm the only Michelle Garcia who is the Director of Information Security and Compliance at Carnival Cruise Line. So as long as that all blends, that's how you find me.
0: Perfect. We'll add well, a uh, link to the bio on the on the description of the podcast as well. So great. Thank you so much, Michelle.
1: Great. Absolutely. Thank you for having me.